You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome to Mountain Bike Radio. Matt from JRA here, and as I cozy up to this X7 dumpster fire, I want to remind everyone about our Amazon affiliate link. By going to the show notes and following the link, you will have a normal shopping experience, but at no charge to you, Mountain Bike Radio will receive a kickback from your purchase. This goes directly to Mountain Bike Radio as a whole and keeps the podcast coming to you. Enjoy this episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by Tequila and Yoga Pants. And Yoga Pants again, because Yoga Pants are wonderful. Um, we're going to talk about pants tonight on the episode, aren't we? Uh, we are. Why are you looking at Facebook when we should be talking about pants? We're not supposed to be talking about pants. We're supposed to be talking about what's been going on this week. <laughs> we got some donations. Uh, Colin Wiggy Corgi of Alaska. Whoa. $25. Is that 25 Alaskan dollars? I think that's part of the U.S., so I think all dollars are the same. Oh, okay. Um, Scott A., of Washington, the state, not the District of Columbia, sent in $25 also. Damn. And Alex Trebek of California, <laughs> 10 doll hairs. Not really Alex Trebek. Alex Trebek, come on, just look, go with it. I want people to think that Shram and all these famous people listen. Just shh, go with it. Shram not is dude, not a famous person. Not some dude named Alex Trebek. Shram is a famous person. Nate at Shram is a famous person. Dude. He's so, totally famous now. So All of famous. his coworkers are going to totally make fun of him because we talk about him on the show now. And I hope so because I like Nate. So Nate called me the other day. I'll just start with like what happened in my week since I just kind of did that anyway. Um, he called back, you know, I was having the problem with the reverb and he heard it on the show and he was, he was all like, well, that was, that was, that's a shitty problem you're having. So here's a reverb for that customer since, uh, his theory was either, well, the engineers said either it's been serviced before and the lower seal head was over tightened, which mm, was make not, it tight. not the case according to, um, you know, the, the information we had, or maybe there was just a batch that came out of the factory and they just, the tightening machine just got all buck wild and just over tightened some shit. So, um, he, he sent out a new one and that was good. And then we talked about, um, pink bike. We talked about, uh, Yari forks, uh, pikes, um, forks in general. Um, we just chatted for a while. I have no idea how many people were on hold waiting to talk to a tech while we were talking, but, uh, you know, since we got the radio show, that's our privilege. We get yeah. To, next uh, time I'm on hold for a super long time, I'm going to be like, none of you motherfuckers are talking to Andrea, are you? <laughs> if it's Nate, uh, if you're on hold for Nate, then yeah, he's probably he just like calls up now and is just like, yo, what's up? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> nothing really. Yeah, I'd be like, you got this backwards. You're, you're not. This is kind of weird. This relationship <laughs> is has made a strange turn. You're not supposed to call me. <laughs> I almost emailed him a picture of a bearing that I that I uh, took out of a bike this morning. Uh, I had this this really terrible full suspension bike that was a a fuel EX9 alloy rear triangle, like an old one, and shock, and then just a black front triangle that said Trek. Like it didn't have any like 
what model it is or anything. It was just all black with white letters that said trick and a 170 millimeter fork. Interesting. Yeah. So it was like 110 or 120 rear travel and 170 front travel. And one of the, uh, the pivot that holds the linkage to the, uh, the upper, like the upper linkage there. Um, one of those bearings, all of the bolt, like the, the outer seal came off when I took the bolt out of the frame and, uh, like all of the balls inside of the bearing were gathered onto one side of the bearing and it was just kind of eccentric. Nice. Yeah. I put it on Instagram, so you can see it there if you want to go to my Instagram. And I, I thought about just like emailing in that picture and be like, someone's got a case of the Mondays. But I didn't. So is that some weird prototype truck frame? <laughs> I don't know. It's really like it's an old rear triangle. And I, I think in general it's old because it's all like XO nine speed. There's a lot. Think about all the prototype frames that probably are out there. I'm sure they try to get most of them back, but there's got to be a lot of them that just like <laughs> go unaccounted for. Yeah, I don't know. This was just a black frame that said trick. And I think sometimes when you have a bike like that, like a. He said it was a what? Fuely X9. So it was yeah, and he said it had been warrantied before. At some point, they I think they do like a Hail Mary when they reorder those frames for the last time. Because like the EX789, that's all the same front triangle, just different part specs. So they're just like, ah, send me 25 more of every size. and Just in black. In black, yeah. I think they do that, absolutely. Because all their molds are probably like still over there and all that kind of jazz and I'm, I guarantee they do that. I know Niner did that recently, actually. So I was told specifically that they did. Oh, can you get just like a generic front triangle? Uh, I think they cranked out some more jets, like the carbon compaction one. Yeah. Because uh, you can't buy a jet right now. But they claim they're going to get another run of those just to take care of warranties. Oh, like all the seat tube cracking jets. Yeah, yeah. Just got another one today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know what I had another of today? Another leaking XT brake lever. Wow, that's crazy. That's I mean, I've seen like a bunch of those things now. Oh, so I've got good news on that front. So um, our our local hammer lady who is uh, who puts tons of miles on her bike, and she had the first gen ninety twenty XTR trail brakes with those black pistons, and I had problems with them all along, and I called them today. And kind of had to plead with the guy a little bit. I'm like, look, it had this issue all along, but I didn't realize at the time that you guys like were going to basically stop making this version of the brake and kind of secretly bring out a new version and all that kind of stuff. And it was technically a couple months out of warranty, but the guy played ball and he sent me all new brakes, like the whole shebang. So that's right. that's really that's really good of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sram, like since these were the uh, the previous generation, like the Chrome ones. Um, he, you know, when Brandon, our service manager, when he made the warranty call on this, you know, the guy's like, well, you know, this, it's going to be a different break. So you get a whole set, not just levers or not just, you know, one I'm surprised break. something that out of warranty they did because the 9020, it's like not really that old. I mean, it came out in like some, it was actually a little bit late release, I think, where not even a lot of 2015 models got them. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and and it it I mean it's by like when you bought the bike with that like sure, my Mach sure. six that I bought last year has the Chrome XT brakes on it. Oh, okay, 
So, you know, like they've, they've been on bikes that are relatively recent. Like those XT brakes that I have on the Mach 6 are still well within warranty because, well, I mean, they just are. It hasn't been that long. That's when I bought it. You know, maybe like the new Mach 6 that came out a little later, like that I think has the, the newer version of the XT brakes. But I think, you know, there was enough stock when they made the switch that, that not everyone got the, you know, the, the new ones when the new ones were available. Yeah. But um, other stuff that it's happened this week. Not a whole lot, really. Um, I'm going to go and ride some trails in Arkansas in uh, December. So a cool. couple of weeks from now, I'm going to go and uh, hang out in Fayetteville and ride some trails. Very cool. Yeah. That's really it for me. You can... You guys, you are Kenny, Matt, Kenny. What are you? What, what's been what's been going on in the lives of Matt and Kenny? Both of you at the same time. <laughs> Go for it, Matt. Um, nothing really. I I use a new product that I've never used before, um, and I've ridden it some now. Um, I use Originate. They make a BB thirty and PressFit thirty. They make two different. I guess technically, there's four items. Uh, BB30 for SRAM and Shimano, and then PressFit30 for SRAM and Shimano. And it's an eccentric bottom bracket. And I've ridden the BB30 SRAM or Shimano version for probably um, almost 50 miles now. No, almost 35 miles. No, I can't do math at all. 25 miles, sorry. And it's been fine. Um, and I've been riding it fixed, and it works great. That's pretty cool. Um, it's a it's a relatively inexpensive part. Um, it hasn't made any noise yet, and I've ridden it. I mean, rel- that's that's single speed and or like sp- commuting. Well, commuting, but especially fixed. I feel like you know if you if you're not able to commit to a corner on the road, then like when you leave the corner, you have to pedal really hard. Um, and it's been pretty quiet so far. Um, for what it is, it's it's pretty cheap. I can't imagine if you had a nice bike that you would buy this over the wheels manufacturing, but if you have a, a perfect bar bike candidate like a shit bike. Yeah. And you want to set it up single speed um, or fixed gear, then, then this is the way to go. It's, it's about $60 retail versus a hundred plus retail. Um, so again, if it's, if it's something that's going to get relatively low miles or just kind of, again, be a, a shit bike, then I think this is going to be really hard to beat. So uh, that wheels manufacturing one is worth. Whatever it costs, because that thing was like super tight in the frame, nice bearings. Like that's that's a nice eccentric bottom bracket. I'm just gonna look up and see how. Yeah, if the wheels manufacturing bottom bracket cost as much as the bike you're putting it on, then maybe you should go with this other one that is less expensive. Um, Eccentric. There we go. Let's see how much this bad boy is. How much you is, girl? Yeah, it's funny. People who work in bike shops don't know the cost on stuff that they use because they don't pay. It's one twenty-five. Yeah, it's worth it. It's a nice bottom bracket. It's pretty good. I mean, it's double. Which, one, the cost. which one's one twenty-five? The originate? No, 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 no. The, the wheels, wheels manufacturing one. one. The oh, originate okay. is like sixty bucks. I was like, shit! I didn't think originate made a single part that was that expensive. <laughs> no, you can get complete frames from them for one hundred and twenty bucks. That's that's pretty much it. Um, 
I mean, not really a lot is going on. I, I can say this. Um, if you want to see something cool that is coming, you need to go to mountainbikeradio.com forward slash membership forward slash. And then on the right hand side, you can enter your email address and you're going to get access to something new that is coming, um, before anyone else does. So that's that. You know, like maybe a new show or something. Or something. Big emphasis on the or something. That Matt's. <laughs> Stop that. All right. Um, and that's really all that I have. Um, I haven't really been riding much. Yeah, like it snowed here finally. It turned winter. It done turned cold. It was it was eighty literally it was eighty degrees. It was like a record high day or like matched the record. And then the next day it snowed three inches. Yeah, so literally I rode home from work and I can't remember the day, so I'll make it up. Like well I probably it was Wednesday I rode home from work with with no gloves on. Like I didn't have any hand covers. I was pretty okay. Um and then, and I got to admit, I really like, like, bare-handing the bar. I'm not trying to make any innuendos here. Like, I really like touching the handlebar You directly. like bare-backing your bar? And <laughs> I would rather my hands be just a tiny bit cold than than wear gloves, if possible. That's so, really fucking weird. I You're love, fucking weird, dude. Super weird. I love the way feeling your handlebar feels. But There's, I love having fabric that I can wipe my sweat and snot on. Why don't you not wear gloves that are, like, nine sizes too big or something? I actually buy all of my gloves small enough that when I pull them off, sometimes it leaves lines in my thumb from like the stitching on the gloves. When I don't wear gloves, it feels weird. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't mind how it feels to not wear gloves. I just don't like the fact that I have nowhere to deposit the fluids that are on my face. I don't sweat like you do. I'm just, I'm not as sweaty. I'm a good sweater. You're all juicy and just like I'm super. When I ride, I am super juicy. <laughs> Would you, would you say would you say moist? I'm I'm moist. Like my whole body is just moist when I ride bikes. <laughs> Every pore and opening on your body is pouring out moisture. <laughs> Isn't that supposed to be like one of the most offensive words? Is moist somehow? Yeah, Are we, we like had super... a, remember we did an episode one time where we said the word moist like 500 times. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so um, moist. On Wednesday, I rode without gloves, and then Friday, I rode to work with studded tires. Literally, like, studded mountain bike tires, or studded cross tires, or rode home from work with them. I rode to work on road tires and nearly died and bought studs and rode home. It was cool. Yeah. I'm going to do a, this is totally random, I'm going to do a trail marathon thing on Saturday. I wasn't done. Oh. If you've never ridden studded tires on ice, oh my god, it's so amazing. That's it. That's all I have to oh. say. Though I, you just made me think of it because I was thinking about I need some kind of like traction devices. Yeah, some kind of shoe traction devices because since it snowed, all of the north facing surfaces of all of the mountains are just like a layer of of snice, snow and ice and mud. But yeah, that's that's all I got to say about that. What's new with Kenneth? Uh, nothing too crazy. Uh, rode, let's see, I did like a 40-ish mile ride on the RKT, did that WRT to Stanky route on it, and that's actually the first time I rode Stanky 
and it was kind of the last nice day that we had last week before it's turned cold and started raining. Um, so it was like 60 degrees and just all the trails are really awesome. So it's just a fun group ride. We all went out and rode actually pretty fast and I like the bike still. It's really good. Even with the turd wheels and all that stuff, it's honestly riding great. 24 and a half pounds. It just kind of works and, uh, I'm happy with it. And let me, let me interject here and ask you a question. So sure. you say you've been riding it with like turd wheels. I mean, they're just okay wheels, right? They're actually okay wheels. I, there are way worse wheels out there. They weigh 1900 grams. They got cartridge bearings. They have crappy engagement, like steel free hub body. Um, you know, but they're not the worst things in the world. They're 28 hole. They're tubeless. They're not noodly. Um, yeah. I mean, they're wheels basically. So, right. But what I was going to ask you is this, um, isn't it kind of cool though, that you're going to get to double upgrade? Like you'll ride the bike as it sits and you'll be like pretty happy. And then you'll put new wheels on your new bike and you'll be like that happy again. Yeah. That's why I'm actually going to just kind of sit. I'm going to chill probably for the winter, to be honest. I'm just going to ride it. And I'm not in a huge rush to upgrade them. If I have to go race the bike tomorrow, it's totally ready to race. There's, it's legit. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, so anyway, I'm happy with it. Great bike. You have bike. the DI2 on there, right? Yeah, I have the XT. Kind of a weird mishmash right now. It's got the BCR2 battery, which is the old internal battery. And it has a road uh, A-junction three-port up front. So no display or anything like that. But I can charge it, uh, you know, with the little USB thingy. And it has so it has an XTR shifter, uh, but it has an XT derailleur. Cool. So it's kind of a weird mix of XTR DI2 and XT DI2 and Road DI2. But it all works together because you DI2 is DI2. Yeah, it doesn't matter really. As long as your Uh, front and rear derailleur match, everything is happy. Yep. So so far so good. I'm happy with it. Uh, what else about the bike? As far as bike goes, it's really good. Um, I did go, I talked about it before. I got rid of that ardent race, which is the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. And did got you have regular. that on the front? I did. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, oh, I tried it. It was terrible. I mean, I mean that's like so, a super, a lot of people good, that just are like super cross country, like want light stuff. They'll do an ardent race and icon combo. But, but the ardent race is only like 40 grams lighter or some shit than a regular ardent. And the ardent is wider. Dude, like, wide. ardent race. Good argument for a full face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it gives no – I can give more detailed feedback on the tire. It gives you zero feedback when it's losing traction. Like you can – it just starts sliding, and you're like, well, I'm fucking along for a ride now. But the Ardent, you can tell it loses traction very quickly. And when it does, it gives you that kind of, um, that kind of feeling in your stomach, you know, like, uh-oh. I'm about to lose the front and crash. Like you can and hear it. It's just for a split second. Yeah. And then it'll give you one more chance, even at the same <laughs> steering angle that you're at. It's crazy. It always gives you that last extra bite. And as long as you straighten it back up, you're pretty much good. Yeah. But the ardent race would just continue to push and slide if you kept it at that same angle. It's very it was a very weird feeling. Yeah, I got like to I actually bit. got to prototype that tire. But it was on I had it on the Envy wheels that were like I don't know, whatever, like 15 internal or something. And yeah, it like, it just was bad. Like I, I used it as a front tire first and it was like, I did, I remember being on the Wolf River trail and just like not wanting to even clip in. It's a bad front tire. So I do not recommend anybody ever run it on the front. I mean, you definitely can, but there's just no, 
the way I look at it is the Arden weighs the same, and I don't. There's no perceivable difference in rolling resistance, at least on the front, compared to those two tires. So why not just fucking run the grippier tire? It's it's a lifesaver. That Arden is so good at getting you out of shit that I don't know why you wouldn't run it. Well, you weird. know, the, the Ardent Race is a popular front tire for people that have been running, like, super low-profile cross-country tires, like front and rear. Like the Bontrager XR1, or, like, the XR1 is basically, like, a really a highly evolved small block 8. Like, it's just, you know, the previous version was just, like, little squares, and now they turned it into, like, little teardrops. And it's still a super fast-rolling, like, low-tread pattern, you know, low-profile tire, and... People that want something with a little more bite than that as a front tire, like they put an ardent race on and they're like, oh yeah, this is great. But it's always people that have been riding like a tire that's, that's like a really, really, really terrible front tire. But I've used the ardent race as a rear tire and it's a wonderful rear tire, especially yeah. like on a hardtail or something like it's a little higher volume and it's a, it's a super nice rear tire. Like it. It gives you all the traction that you want, and it's got like that kind of hard ridge down the middle, so it's fast rolling. Like it's it's a really good rear tire. If you ran an Icon on the front and you weren't dying, then you could probably get away with running an Arden race. Yeah. But anyway, uh, other than that, I don't really have any other crazy things going on. Everything everything is good over here. Business as usual. Uh, let's see. Still have the single speed. It's all good. I kind of just ride a little bit of both bikes these days, and I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, we. Uh, oh, I found something out about the old, like the 2015 slash, I believe, 16 model Pivot 429 SL. Uh-huh. And we were wondering the other day about, or I was wondering which offset fork that was specced with that Fox 120. Mm-hmm. And it is a 46 offset fork. I did look it up. That so, you loved. Yeah, I thought it was great. And what's interesting is they've gone um, – not that it's a, a right or wrong answer, but they have since gone for 2016 and 17 – or no, I'm sorry. I guess 17. Whichever one is the boost frame now that also accepts the three-inch tires. Yeah, just the newest model, version of it. Yeah, the newest model uh, has a 51 offset fork. So, But for what it's worth, I think what it will boil down to is that bike is probably great with either of those forks. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. I did look that up today. Yeah, we, did uh, we also a, someone asked a Twitter question, and I don't, Kenny, I don't think they tagged you in it. He is just like, if I want a one twenty fork that steers faster, I should get fifty one, right? And I was, I don't know, he was asking for advice, like should he get a forty six or a fifty one? But he already had made up his mind that he wanted a fifty one. So even though I said a forty six is really good, when Matt said he like something about a fifty one, he's like, yeah, fifty one. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, I mean, what it comes down to is I think both forks are close enough that I think you're going to be pretty happy with either one. But just know in the back of your mind that the difference between the two is the 51 is going to steer that a little bit faster. That's it. Simple as that. And it's a minor difference. It's probably equivalent to the difference of changing your travel by like 10 mil. It's not a complete game changer, night and day, you know, couldn't ride it the other way kind of thing. And I've got some uh, some buddies who are pretty darn perceptive on stuff. Uh, Jacob, Jacob Zimmerman's really good at that, about picking up on nuances on bike geometry and all that kind of stuff. And he went from a 46 offset 120, both a Fox and a RockShock. 
and he ran both of those interchangeably for a little while on his tall boy. And then he went to the Fox 34, which only comes in 51 offset. And he didn't really say there was a heck of a lot of difference. He just said he liked the 34. So, um, yeah, take that for what it's worth. Cool. Yep. I might try one eventually. It's just I already have a 46, and I'm not going to. I think a good way to look at it is if you had experience on, like, a 46, and you aren't scared of the fact that it might get just a hair faster, then I'd say go for the 51, personally. But if you're like, oh, my gosh, I would absolutely never want a bike that steers faster, then, yes, yeah, st- <laughs> stick with 46. Yeah, I don't really – I don't mind a bike that doesn't – that's slower. Like, it doesn't – I don't feel like – other than when I make left-hand switchbacks, which I'm kind of uh, – I'm not good kind at. Of. What'd you say? Nothing. What'd you say? Nothing. Whatever. Anyway, when I have to make left-hand switchbacks, I, I don't think – I think I could be on, like, a 60-mil travel, like, 51-offset bike – and I still couldn't make it around some tight left-hand switchbacks because I'm just not good at those. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, other, otherwise, outside of left-hand switchbacks, um, I don't feel like I need a faster handling bike. And I can appreciate the some of the uh, good qualities of a slower handling bike um, when they present themselves, if that makes sense. And the fact of the matter is, for the most part, you just kind of adapt to what you're used to. It's yeah, really yeah. not that big of a deal. It's pretty surprising. Again, the difference in a half a degree head tube angle, which is roughly a 10 mil travel difference, or also roughly the same difference as like going from 46 offset to 51 offset. Those changes, while noticeable, they're pretty subtle. It's not a game changer in my opinion. Uh, it's good to know what the differences are and what it's going to do to the handling of your bike, but I wouldn't just like – pour over oh my god what if i make the wrong decision and it's going to be pretty damn close yeah you're going to be okay so do you do we want to get into questions now kenny are you you got anything else no i think i'm good over here i don't really have i'll say this i really like the crave more with 46 offset than 51 yeah some personalities some bikes just prefer that it's very it's kind of fascinating i think what we're going to probably find is the the shorter chainstay bikes prefer the 51 offset fork. That'd be my guess. We'll see. Let's, let's get into some questions. Quit, quit looking at car videos on YouTube. Mm. Oh, I got one more quick thing. Uh, we put together a tall boy three today and kind of rode around a little bit. I didn't get to do any trail riding cause it's a customer's bike, but just kind of parking lot ride, which doesn't tell you a heck of a lot. But I did notice that, good God, that bar was wide. It was like 800. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it's not and an 800. It's like a 750. It was insane. It it was so wide. And what else? Um, it's got a 50 mil stem, which is pretty silly. And supposedly 68 degree head tube angle with a 120, 51 offset. Or no, 130. 130? No, uh, if it's a... If it's, it's a 120. Is it's it a 29? It's 120. Yeah, it's a 29er. Uh, and it had the flip chip in the low position, and I didn't love it, at least in parking lot riding. And, again, I didn't ride on the trail, so, like, this is complete kind of an utter bullshit. Just bullshit. <laughs> it's total bullshit. But it just felt weird. It flopped around a lot on that front end. I wasn't super happy about that. But 
yeah, uh, the frame feels nice and solid. Like if you just kind of jump it around a little bit, it's just nice. It's hard, hard thing to describe, but if you just like pick up the bike and kind of just slam the suspension down into the ground, like with you not on the bike, <laughs> nothing really clunks around or does anything where it's just a nice solid damper feel as it hits that initial part of the travel. It, it was a good thing. So that that's good, and mother of God, that frame is heavy. It's out of control. It it's just like seems that doesn't seem like a very Memphis bike. No, it's not really a good Memphis that's, bike. It's, that, that's what I would say. That bike is going to be probably one of the nicer bikes you can ride. It. It's. I would argue that that is the nicest bike you can sell for Solima. Yeah, it's a good. I mean, it's not the dumbest Memphis bike. Like a Bronson is a dumb Memphis bike, but the Tall Boy is mm, eh, not as get dumb as a Nomad. <laughs> yes, which is not as dumb as a V10 for Memphis. Race to the bottom, <laughs> baby. Either way, yeah. I'll race you 10 feet on flat, and then nobody wins somehow. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a cool bike overall. Interesting. If it was my personal bike, my gut reaction was I would just put reasonable bars on it and probably like a 70 stem, maybe a 60, just 10 or 20 longer than what it came with. Cause good God, that was just, that's, I think, I mean, that's what it came with is like a super mountain setup. Like you tend to hear like stuff that even with like, you know, Matt and I right now are like riding, I don't know, I'm riding like a 740 and a 750 between like the 429 and the Mach 6. We'll pass by trees where, you know, he and I aren't even looking at them because they don't register in your head as something that you would hit even with bars that wide. But if you look, they have handlebar marks on them because they're just within like an arm's reach of the trail. Like <laughs> trails here do not have tree gates for the most part. Occasionally, if it does have a tree gate, it's a fucking thing. Like people, like, or like this is the one place in the entire front range where my bars don't fit through this tree. Like <laughs> and and like, you know, just being from Memphis, like you just wouldn't ride that. Like the bars that I, I couldn't ride the Mach Six on the Wolf River Trail. Not I mean it would suck on the Wolf River Trail because it's like a big you know, like slack ass bike, but you know, like the the bars are just wide. Like Memphis is a special case as far as bar width goes, so goes so like that's I think if you if you hung out a long time in other places that didn't have you know constant tree gates, then you you probably wouldn't think the bars were as ridiculous as you think they are now. Yeah, I just try to correlate stem length with head tube angle, which I think is a pretty accurate way to do it. And just what I'm very used to riding, somewhere around a seventy degree head tube angle, I want to run like an eighty, maybe a ninety, maybe even a little bit less than that. Yeah, and you then got like, T-Rex arms too. And then 68 degrees, I'd probably run like somewhere in the ballpark of uh, like a 60 or 70. And then all the way down to like 66, 67 degree head tip angle, then I'd run like a 40 or a 50. But that's just me. I 71 for – so I have a 71 on the top fuel and the uh, – Oh, 71 head tip angle? 71 head tip angle with a 51 offset fork, 110. God damn. Are you serious? That bike steers. All you have to do is like – it's like the Matrix. You just think you just about it. You just think about it. Jeez, you could like <laughs> that bitch is turning. She's like, "Yeah, let's go, bitch." You, yeah, like you, you just like put the power to the muscles in your neck to like barely start turning to look where you're going, and the bike's like already there, dude. It turns by <laughs> eyeball movement. That's fucking insane. It has a 51 offset fork with a 71 degree head tube angle. 
uh, 70.8 or 70.9 in the high chip. Yeah. Oh my God. And that doesn't sketch you the fuck out, dude. It's so good. I love that bike. <laughs> I mean, in general, I like fast steering bikes anyway. Like I've always loved the Niners because I usually run them right about 70 degree head tube angle. And I'm really happy with that. Like my, my sweet spot where I'm like super happy and comfortable is like 69 to 70. If I get slack, and this is all 29ers, of course. Uh, if I get slacker than that, I start feeling funky. Well, what I was going to say is I have a 110 on that bike, and then I have a... A 110 fork? No, 100 millimeter travel, 51 offset, 110 stem. Oh, oh, are you fucking serious? <laughs> How are you not... That's Well, I guess longer stems do make more sense, but I don't he is understand. six foot not two. Dead crazy and then my highball is 71 degree head tube angle 100 millimeter travel 46 offset with a, and what stem do you run on that 110 also damn yeah i like to match up i, I mean it not 100 percent all the way like but i don't know say like 90 percent. i like to match up stem length to bike fit more than head tube angle yeah but if you think about the head tube angle, that's going to change as the, the bike fit changes. So, yeah. But we do have a bunch of questions. Let's um, get into questions. Can we do the pants one first? Yeah. Star from the internet. Hi, all. I was listening to some, and Star is a lady. I'll preface that. Uh, we don't get very many female questions. If you have a question, jra at mountainbikeradio.com. That comes to me and Ben. One of us will read it. Well, both of us will read it, but I'll give you an answer and we'll give you an answer on air. Maybe. Um, no, by the way, how about I'm, this? Just, just, just no, 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 hold on. Uh, any women that send in a question, just because I, I like that we have a few female listeners. If you send in a question and you're female, I will always read it on air. Or Matt will read it on air. But it will go on air no matter what it is. You can ask, like, why is the sky blue? And we will answer it. That's That's just flat out not true. <laughs> but... Uh, because the thing, there's no such thing as a stupid question. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> but like the, for the instance with star, I copied Andrea into the response. So her and Andrea could have some discourse back and forth, you know, lady to lady. Anyways, star from the internet. Hi all. And the reason that it matters is she's a ladies. It's a clothing fit question, not just. And there are dudes that have this problem also. I'm we're talking about pants earlier, and I'm actually wearing pants for this episode. It's kind of 50-50. <laughs> Do you normally not wear I don't. I was listening to some older episodes where Andrew was struggling to find shorts that fit. Was there ever a clear winner? I'm female, 5'7", with an athletic build of 165 pounds and looking for some baggies. I only jump shit if I'm feeling lucky. Punk. I added him <laughs> to punk there. And I will make it rain if I can find a pair of shorts that don't give me muffin thighs. Shorts that are supposed to be baggy are usually on the, are usually tight on the legs or gap at the waist and don't stay up. My legs are pretty bulked up with all the riding and trail running that I do. Am I doomed to Lycra? I love the show. And then she sent in a follow up answer to a couple of questions or, oh, I pushed the wrong button. Crap. Uh, but she sent in a picture where the only pair of shorts in the store that she wanted to try on, they were on a mannequin. So there's just like a mannequin lying in the floor. Like, it's like the mannequin challenge. It looks like a <laughs> sex crime. It looks victim. like she murdered a mannequin. 
Like um, she beat the shit out of that mannequin and stole its pants. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and well, then the rest of it is, uh, I'll just leave that. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's a good, we should put that picture with this show, yeah, with I'm, this episode. Um, so I'll start because, you know, I have, I have woman thighs and stuff. Um, so star, the only shorts that I have found. And so I, I kind of classify baggy shorts into two categories. I say, are they're just baggy shorts that are kind of like what I would say semi fitted, um, where they're, you know, like to like the, you know, like an inch above your kneecap, like the top of your kneecap, um, and not super loose. Like they kind of are fitted around like the butt and the top of the thigh. And then they just kind of stay straight, um, to the, the rest of the thigh. And then there are shorts that I consider shorts you could put knee pads under, like loose fit, put your bro ass knee pads on, um, and go shred the gnar. Um, and I have found shorts in both of those categories. Um, Scott and both of them, they're all men's shorts. So I've tried on a, a few pair of women's shorts, baggy shorts, and I have liked the fit of none of them. I've tried on the Yeti shorts. Um, I think I've tried on a pair of Pearl Izumi shorts. I don't remember. Um, what were the other ones? Shredley's. Unfortunately, even though Shredley is a good local company, um, they really support women's riding and like, you know, women who kick ass and like all this stuff. They just don't like that build where your waist is like a size smaller or two sizes smaller than your thighs. They don't work for that. And I, I'll interject here and say, Andrea is shredly shorts that she bought and then rejected. They look good on me. Like they fit Matt and Perfectly. Matt's got. I'm six to one fifty. Yeah. So he he is the opposite build of me, basically. Um, the shorts that I do like are all men's shorts. Um, first off, my advice would be to find a pair of chamois shorts that you like. Um, and I don't mean like the liners, because most shorts have shitty-ass liners. Um, find a pair of just like normal shorts, not bib shorts, because they're hard to pee in. Um but find a pair of normal no, they're shorts. They're really easy to pee in. They're well, really hard. They're to hard pee to pee of. to not pee inside of. Anyway, uh, yeah, find like a good pair. I use the Pearl Zumi Pro shorts um, under my baggies. I wear bibs the rest of the time. Um, but you know, if I'm gonna wear baggies, I'll wear not bibs. Find a good pair of those because the liners that come with baggy shorts are pretty awful. Um, the fit of them is just bad. Like, it's just not good. Like they never fit right. The chamois is always a little bit shitty. Um, you know, so just find a good pair of shorts, throw the liners out or buy shorts that don't have liners in the first place because they're a waste of money. Um, <clears throat> the shorts that I do like, uh, as far as just baggies that I wouldn't really put knee pads under are Scott Shorts, and I don't even know. I got them so long ago that I don't know if Scott still makes that style. Kenny, they're the ones that you have also. Like when I was yeah, it's a, it's the- a really good short, and I actually found a few more of them hidden in our warehouse. And if people are interested in them, I can like send them out. Yeah, they're so, they're fucking awesome. Yeah, they're a good just a baggy short. Like yeah, because it's not so baggy that 
it's obnoxious. Like you wouldn't want to wear knee pads under these ones, but they're right. not so baggy that if you wear them with just regular high quality chamois shorts, everything kind of works pretty good. And they're form fitting enough that they're like a little bit stretchy, just a little bit, like 10% stretchy. So if one of those weird situations happens, like, you know, where your, your knee somehow, like they ride low for a second and then your knee catches the end of them, you know, that kind of thing that happens sometimes, uh, it doesn't feel terrible. It's, they're fascinating shorts. I wear them as just everyday shorts because they're fucking awesome. Yeah, they're they're good, like, you know, semi, what I call semi-fitted baggy shorts. Um, yeah, they're awesome. And if people are interested, just let me know because I have, I think, a full-size run of them. And I can let them go for a, a really reasonable price. They were, you know, right at 100 bucks retail, and I can sell them for a lot less than that. So just yeah, so, let me know if you're so interested. Star, and they come if, with liners, but they suck. You might as well throw them away. Yeah, so ooh, Star, ooh. if those are the shorts you're looking for, Email Kenny at mountainbikeradio.com. I think it's full face Kenny at mountainbikeradio.com. Or just let us know and we'll we'll get you in touch with Kenny's work email. Yeah. Um, so something that I want to say about those really cheap liners. Don't throw those away. I wear those when I and bear with me now. I wear those because they don't when you go to the club. <laughs> they're usually like semi see through and they're like insanely short. I wear white shorts when I go to the club. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> and I make sure somebody spills a drink on me. Anyways, you can wear those cheap shorts under your jeans. Yeah, if you're going to do something really where you're well. riding in jeans. No, no, because they're the problem is they're usually a little bit loose, so they fit pretty close to like what a normal like boxer brief underwear would. Um, and you wear them under your jeans and it prevents the, that like four square seaming of your jeans from rubbing on your more precious bits. But then when you're like in Target or like in the liquor store or eating lunch or whatever, you don't feel like you're wearing bibs or, or a chamois quite the same as normal. So, um, I don't know. All the, the liners that I've tried, the chamois always feels like stiff and terrible. Ah, well. But anyway, so the Scott shorts are what I would recommend if you like the fitted style baggy or the sort of fitted baggy. Um, and you'd have to have some like pretty damn big thighs for these to not straight up not fit you. And they're stretchy enough that even if they were a little snug, I don't even think they would be a big problem. Yeah, I mean, mine are they definitely um you know, like the they, they, they are on me. They are tight around right around the biggest part of my thigh. Like they're, they're definitely fitted there. Um, if you're going for shorts that are something you want to wear knee pads under, like the more bro style, um, uh, Pearl Izumi makes a pair of shorts, um, where instead of having like a fly that Velcros, which I don't really love, these just have kind of like stitching where there would be a fly. And they're a little bit elasticy in the waist, and they have the little Velcro tabs that you can pull the waist tighter. Um, they have a pair that are a loose fit baggy short, but the waist and like right around the top of the butt are really nicely fitted so that they aren't just like a, you know, like a burlap sack hanging off of your ass. Um, those are the ones that I always wear if I'm going to wear knee pads. There's also a, a Fox. Matt gave me a pair of Fox shorts that he didn't like because they were too big. Those fit me okay. Um, but I would definitely recommend the Pearl Izumi. And I don't even, as a company, I don't necessarily love Pearl Izumi. But I can't deny that those shorts are the best fitting 
like bro baggy shorts that I've got. Um, they've got some mesh, like some ventilation. So they're cool. And yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd go with those if that's the style that you're looking for. Unfortunately, I haven't, um, maybe there's some women out there that are listening that have tried on some, uh, some women's specific baggy shorts that you like the fit. Um, but so far between Yeti's women's shorts and Shredley's, I've been incredibly unhappy with the fit. You know, my thighs are definitely at least a size or two sizes larger than my waist. And, uh, I think there are some guys out it's there. It's like the Grinch, like her thighs expand and like how the Grinch's heart broke. That's what her shorts do. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely, yeah, I know there are guys out there, like most dudes, you know, guys, luckily, you know, being guys with testosterone, they can put muscle on pretty easily. Um, any guys that squat, you know, lift weights and stuff like they probably, they kind of have the same problems. I mean, I've, I've known guys like that that had the same issues. So, it's not necessarily a women specific question. There are probably some guys out there that can take the same advice and run with it. Um, but star, let me know, uh, if those things work out for you or if you have any more questions, email. That was a, that was a lot about pants. Pants. Um, so star probably loves yoga pants as much as I do. Connor from Seattle says, I'm curious what your personal favorite dropper posts are. Which posts are you running on your various bikes now? There are many good options these days. Are there any models besides the reverb that you would not recommend from a liability or ease of service standpoint? Thanks for taking my question and keep up the great podcast. Connor from Seattle. I don't know. You there guys, are, there you guys are know no what I think. I, I'm going to, I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. Matt, Matt can answer then. Um, they all are going to break. That's the bottom line. That's I've all. never seen a dropper seat post survive ever. Well, they don't. They, they don't. Let's go back and 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 we've covered this before. Um, you're asking so, uh, and if you're a lefty fan out there, don't email in and tell me how wrong I am right now. I don't care. Let's, I'm going to preface that with lefty people. I don't care, but a lefty is roughly 35 millimeters in size. At least. Wouldn't you agree, Kenny? Somewhere in that ballpark. I don't know what the actual sanction is. I think the actual sanction is like 32, but it's obviously. Nope. I'm talking about the upper. Oh, like the um, external diameter of the upper is probably bigger than that, but being conservative, 35. 35. Yes. Um, with every dropper seat post on the market in something 31.8 or smaller, 31.8, 6, 31.6, um, 31.6 or smaller, we want a lefty that is 100% locked out all the time at various locations across the travel range. That's what we're looking for in a dropper seat post. So wrap your head around that for just a minute. Take a, a lefty big ask. And, and think about all the shit you have to do to keep a lefty going. That it's okay if a lefty moves around. A lefty can move. Even when it's locked out, it can move a little bit. Right? So we're taking something that, that is considerably smaller than a lefty. You know, the outer diameter of your seat post, not the outer diameter of your seat tube. And we're cramming this down inside your frame. 
And then at the touch of a button, you want it to go from being a rigid platform to perch your ass upon to moving very, very easily with like no compression damping through the valving. And then you want to release this button and it turn rigid again in exactly the place you want to perch your ass. Of course, that is going to be a problematic and high maintenance place on the bicycle. There's no ways around it. Yeah. I think, well, I, I think that you can basically say like every post is going to fuck up. It's just after it fucks up, what happens? Thompson post has to go back to the factory. KS post, you have to buy a new cartridge for it. Reverb post, you can go in there and fix it with the right parts and hopefully they don't break and the dude at SRAM isn't having a Yeah, if you don't have a day. Nate at SRAM, you might get the guy, you know, you might talk to the guy that's like, oh, you're shit out of luck. Just Google it. Um, I don't know. That guy might have, like, died in a mysterious, like, chain drowning or something. But Or you get the guy who's like, oh, you ready to do some troubleshooting on the house? And I'm like, nope, not don't want to do that shit. I'm not going to be your fucking tech support. <laughs> um, not going to happen. If it's so... Uh, Thompson goes back. KS, you order a new thing. Reverb. What's- nine nine point eight is uh, the 9.8s that I've seen. If they work right out of the box, the ones that I've seen still work. Yeah. But I did have like a one in, I don't know, like six or seven that out of the box, I couldn't get it to, to work perfectly. It was as if the, ch- the, the, Cable tension was too tight, no matter how I adjusted it. Um, so there's that. Like, and nine point eight is now also like what Easton and Raceface. Yep, I would never buy one of those posts. The Easton and Raceface posts that I've touched, I would rather ride a Thompson rigid post than one of those. Why? Being polite, they're fucking god awful. I don't know the nine point eights that I felt have felt okay. Yep, and you worked with 9.8, which is now twice removed when I get it as a race face post, and it's garbage. Oh, okay. They um, just bought, like, basically the in- internals, and then they put their own shit on the outside, right? I have no clue, but I know that I touched it, and it feels really bad. Like, really bad. Um, Specialized command posts, they're really easy to work on. They're really easy to service. Um, they are also known as the taint punchers. You can just let some air out of it, and it doesn't do that. Especially the thing is, is a command post is an air return, like all of them, and it has a forty psi maximum. And a lot of people see that, and they're just like, "Oh, take it to the limit." And you can hit the lever and like get the rear tire to clear the ground. <laughs> um, so I usually you can start, like launch full beers into the air with that post. Yeah, I usually start somewhere around fifteen psi. And see how that that functions, and kind of go from there. I mean, you can tune the return speed on a command post pretty easily with one or two pumps of a shock pump. Um, and then good old gravity dropper, you know, it's just a, yeah, there was someone at the uh, JRA ride or the mountain yeah. bike radio ride. You had a turn. Yeah. I do not fucking like those things. I've had a <laughs> nightmare with messing with one of those. Jesus. What was wrong for with it? Being, for being simple as fucking having just a pin jam into a hole, it's still somehow broke. <laughs> But again, you're asking a pin that jams into a hole to hold your body weight while you like G out through like ditches and over bumps and shit. So, yeah, well, it like wiggled and there's like this top cap on there and you're supposed to cram a whole bunch of like Loctite on it or some shit. 
and you have to get it like just tight enough where the thing actually goes up and down. And then you ride it, and it just like loosens up, and then the whole fucking thing explodes apart in the middle of a ride, <laughs> and all the guts go flying all over the trail. <laughs> and then you bring me, and then you bring me back a mess of that shit in like a Ziploc bag with like sand and shit in it, and I'm like, nope, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> nope. I mean, pretty much the the end all be all is like, I feel the same about dropper posts that I do about reverbs, or sorry, not reverbs, but road hydro disc. I'm going to be really interested when the whole next wave of stuff comes out. Like three years from now, dropper posts are going to be better, and we can give you an answer as to which ones we like and which ones we don't like. I personally like KS posts because they're very easy to service. Um, If that cartridge inside does fail, it's not hard to replace. It is easier than... The full reverb service. It's not as cheap as the full reverb service. Well, I don't know. Parts and labor on a full reverb service cost about the same, probably, as parts and labor on the KS. It's just that with the KS, you pay more for the parts and less for the labor. And on the reverb, you pay less for the parts and more for the labor. So, you know, that's kind of up to you. Like, you could definitely service a reverb using their service video if you're slightly mechanically inclined. You could replace that cartridge yourself in your garage, whereas with the reverb, you there's some tools that you need, and even if you do everything as the video says, it it may not always turn out right the first time, and you may have to just kind of like go back halfway through all the steps and start over. So, you know, I think the the KS service is a little easier. SRAM's customer support definitely is better than basically everyone else's, besides maybe Thompson. I mean, Thompson, like, they're like, yeah, your post is broken. Send it back and we'll send it right back to you. But, yeah. Yeah, and KS has the externally routed, but, like, collar terminating system, which is really good. Yeah, yeah. If you have to use an externally routed post, definitely KS. Because that, that cable doesn't have to move, and that's real nice. Or you could get a a, a height right that's a pretty good one. I don't think I've used one of those. It's the original dropper post. <laughs> like a gravity dropper? No. Um, so when you had a QR quick release. Oh, like just, it's like a big spring. It's a giant spring. And you, what you did is you set the, you put the right height through the QR bolt. <laughs> and then it had another clamp that went around your standard seat post. And you got your seat height set correctly with the QR. And then you tighten the bolt in the in the upper clamp on the seat post. And then when you open the QR, you could just push down on it and push the right push your QR closed again. And when you open you are it, the dropper post. When you open it, it comes back up to the right height. And then <laughs> um it it just it it like returns it to the correct seat height. You just close the quick release and keep riding. <laughs> I'll post a picture of it with the show. It'll be awesome. All right. Should we go? Should we, we can move on. Um, are, we, are we still recording? Everything's good? Everything's good. Alex from Sacramento says, JRA crew, I love your show and have be a regular listener for over a year. I'm hoping you can help me get some better climbing out of my bike. I have a 2014 Norco Range Carbon 
I picked it up on closeout at the end of last year. I've done a budget one by conversion by leaving it 1136 10-speed on the back with a 3-0 front ring and ditched all the other 2-by stuff. It does fine on flatter trails, but when I drive up to the foothills of California, I find myself needing more climbing gear. I'm trying to decide between spending my money on a bigger rear cog in 40 or 42 or spending money on a new crank set with a 28 chain ring and shaving some weight off the bike at the same time. My rear cassette is currently off the bike because the wheel is being sent in for a warranty issue I was able to pinpoint thanks to your show. So doing the bigger rear cog right now would be quick and easy right now, but hearing about shifting issues after installing one of these makes me a little nervous. I got about 250 to spend. The bike needs a 24 millimeter spindle crank set and is BB92 bottom bracket. I'm getting back into the sport after not riding on a regular basis since about 2001, so my fitness level isn't what it used to be, but I'm working on it. Thanks, Alex from Sacramento. Kenny, you're first. So what crank does he have on there right now? I didn't really, hear that. It's like a SRAM dumpster fire crank. But is it a 2x or 3x or 1x? 2x10, and he's got it set up. <clears throat> it's a 2x crank with a 3-0 chain ring. A 2x crank with a 3-0 chain ring? So he's got it set up 1x, but it's actually a 2x crank. Is that correct? Correct. And it's the really chintzy, non-removable spider, like the heaviest GXP crank you can get. Okay. I've looked at, I looked his bike up like last week. Okay. It's like that SRAM crank that just says SRAM on it really big. What's his rear drive train? I didn't catch that either. 10 speed Shimano. It's a 10 speed. Okay. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mess with all the, I mean, you can mess with the crank if you want and that would definitely be a good thing and it would save weight, but he seems to be more concerned about gearing rather than weight. So I would ditch the 10 speed stuff in the back. I wouldn't do any damn conversions. I fucking hate them all. They're all terrible and I'll never be convinced otherwise. Just get, uh, get an 11 speed set up if nothing else in the back. That's my only advice. And if you want to do it while you're at it, go ahead and get a nice crank because that is a turd crank. That's all I got. So it'll blow up his budget. So, yeah. Well, Andrea, you go. I don't know. What does just the shifter derailleur chain and cassette run for XT? More than 250 Yeah. But not a lot more, though, because I think we did a... Is it like What wheel does he have? Do we know? I don't. I, okay. I mean, if he can get if he can get an XD driver, my recommendation is to do a cheap like GX1 uh, SRAM setup. That's my advice because the cassette's lighter and you're going to get a little bit more range out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of. But it's, it sucks because you got to pay extra money for the driver body. Like that just sucks, no matter how you look at it. But you do save some weight and you get more range. And the while I don't typically like SRAM stuff, their one by stuff is solid. I mean, all of it, even the crap ass. I say crap ass, like the really cheap GX one. I haven't gone below GX, so the really, really cheesy stuff could be bad. The NX? Uh, yeah, but like the GX one's fine. I have no problems with it. Yeah, it works it. okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I would say also. So I'm, I'm wrong. It's a Chester crank. Yeah, Chester. I don't even know what that is. Is that, is that Race Face's super entry level? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's if you're just on like a super tight budget, I would do... The eleven speed drivetrain first. Um but if you're you know, if you've got like the extra cash to spend, look around for uh you know just some kind of like a, 
an alloy crank with a removable spider and you can put whatever size spider you want or whatever size chain ring you want on there. Boom. I'm going to give you the other. So 250 isn't going to get you 11 speed. Uh, if you buy a bunch of 10 speed conversion parts and try to run it on a Shimano system, it's going to shift like Le Caca. Um, so what you should do is you're going to end up with a nicer crank and 11 speed when it's all said and done. So if you only have 250 today, you should do one of two things. Save your money until you have the money to do a, uh, he has a Dior rear, so he'll never be able to run XD driver on that bike. Um, oh, a Dior rear hub. Yeah. Oh, so well, shit. you need to, you need to buy a crank today. That's the first thing. If you're going to spend money today, buy a crank and buy, like Andrea said, it's the SRAM GX 1400 is the GXP crank with a removable spider. And you can run one of those, um, uh, with anywhere from 24 through 38 tooth chain rings, um, direct mounted. So you can get one of those and that is going to save some weight, but more importantly, it's going to be a good foundation and a part you won't want to throw away when you finally put 11 speed on there. If you do wide range today in the future, you're still going to buy 11 speed and a crank. So that wide range money would just be pissed up a tree and it may not work. It won't work very well. So, boom. Done. I didn't realize that was a Dior hub. Like, now that you say that basically he has a hub that's anti-XD driver body, um, I would probably go with your advice as well. Matt. Boom. Um, And then we have one other question that I think we can go through really quick. Um. It is Grant from Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, my name is Grant. I live in Salt Lake. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and experience while keeping us listeners entertained. I look forward to shows every week. Sometimes I don't want to ride trails and would rather just casually cruise around town. I've been watching a lot of street BMX videos lately, and it seems like it would be fun to have a BMX bike to play around on. Also, a lot of these BMX guys and gals seems to have great bike handling skills, and it seems like it would be a good way to get in to get better in that skill area, wheelies, manuals, bunny hops, etc. My question is, will getting a BMX bike be a good way to improve my bike handling skill? And if so, what recommendations do you have for buying one? I don't know. What's your medical deductible? I'm assuming a mountain bike podcast. I'm Wait, I'm asking a mountain bike podcast about a BMX question, but I figure with Matt's experience and all the rest of your experience combined, you probably have good advice. I don't want to spend a ton of money. I'm 5'11 and weigh 145 pounds. I don't know if those ma- numbers matter as much for a BMX bike. Um, so that's another thing. I've I've changed it on the, or it has been, yeah, I changed it on the website now. So when you send in a question, it's like, what do you weigh? And what do you want to spend? And how tall are you? Like, Because I feel like a lot of times we end up sending back an email, you know, um, like what's your height and weight and what are your expectations and stuff. So. That just helps what us are your answer. Hopes and dreams? Yeah, it helps us answer your question better. Um, um, I think that I don't know. My, looking from the outside in, I'll give you my perspective. When I see Matt do all of that stuff that he learned when he was young on a BMX bike, I'm just like, well, I'm 35 and my motor skills are all the way developed, and he learned how to do that on a BMX bike when he was still a uh, in that physiological state of being able to learn new things easily. Um, and it's carried over. 
I don't know if the fact that it was a BMX bike really helped. I think that if Matt just had a bike when he was a kid and, you know, just being like the kid that he was, he could have learned like manuals and wheelies and everything. I don't think it mattered that it was a BMX bike. I think it was just the fact that people tend to ride BMX bikes when they're younger. And from a a motor learning, like if you know anything about uh, exercise physiology and motor learning, from that standpoint, at that age, when you learn things, um, that's like the most important time to learn actual skills, like motor skills. Um, It just happens to be that a lot of people learn them on BMX bikes because that's what you ride when you're, you know, 8 to 14 years old during that period of time where, you know, motor learning is very, very, very a big impact. Um, Yeah. That's why you see like other countries have like are way better at some Olympic sports than in the U S because they start kids when they like pop out of the womb, they like put them on a balance beam. All right. Now, (laughs) now here's Matt's answer. I want to try to keep this short ish. Um, so there's going to be two prongs to this. The first prong is going to be uh, BMX death. And then the second one is going to be they're good, duh. Okay. Um, so the first one is, I don't know what bike he rides, so I'm going to, I'm going to break it down real quick. If you compare the twitchy and turnability and everything of, oh, I'm going to look something up real quick. I just have to know this. Uh BMX head tube angle. Yeah, I want to know the head tube angle on my BMX bike, and I don't <laughs> well, know. Also, what's... keep in mind as as wheel sizes get smaller, uh, you run a lot slacker head tube angles. So keep that in mind for it to feel the same. So mm-hmm. like a you know twenty nine er with a seventy degree head tube angle probably feels a lot like a twenty six er with a sixty seven or sixty eight degree head tube angle. So you're saying that more head tube like a you need more head tube angle on the larger wheel sizes to make it even turn. Oh, right. So like a 26 or right, right. I see what it is. So for all I know, a 62 degree on a BMX bike might be super twitchy. I don't fucking know. 75. But, oh God. <laughs> so, um, although what kind of BMX bike? Cause aren't there so many genres as far as like freestyle and like race BMX? This is a, this is a standard. So the I looked up my bike because my bike is pretty much just a good bike. You wouldn't race on it though. It's it's a no. It's a BMX bike. I, I don't think that anyone sitting in a question saying they want a bike to roll around and do curb burns and like bunny hop one eighties and stuff on is going to like want a race bike. No one's going to ask us race bike advice. Okay. Um, if they ever do, the answer is carbon everything, DXR parts. Go for it. Um. DXR is the BMX equivalent of XTR from Shimano. All right, keep going with your. Um, so the bike is going to kill you. That's the number one thing. You're going to run um, 20 inch by 1.9 or 2.2 tires at 100 psi, um, literally 100, or you're, or you're going to pinch flat. Um, the brakes don't work for shit, and it has a 75 degree head tube angle with not much fork offset. I wish I I wish I knew what the fork offset was on this. Um, Ooh. I'm sure it's nothing like. I just want to know. It says here, 
Um, oh, the offset on the the fork that I have is 34.5 millimeters. So 75 degree head tube angle with a 34 millimeter offset fork. I mean, that kind of like makes, not, I'm not going to say makes up for it, but that's. So offset's another thing that, that goes along with wheel size. That's why you see, you know, 51 and 46 offset on 29 and you see like 35 to 45 or whatever on a 26er. So as you get smaller in wheel size, the smaller, you don't need as long of a rake. But still, as long that's, as, as long that's, as an offset. that's really, it's twitchy. As fuck. Yeah, that's a twitchy as fuck bike. It's twitchy as fuck is, is what we need to say about this. So, um, that, so yeah, lots of tire pressure, lots of head tube angle, no brakes. Um, and the handlebars are going to feel really low. I'm running the tallest front end I could make on my bike. I'm running a, an aftermarket uncut fork. So I have like 15 millimeters of spacers under a top loader stem with the tallest handlebar that was on the market when I bought mine. And my bike still feels like a clown bike. Um, where I'm going with all this is you're going to have a bike that's really, really odd feeling to ride. Um, I mean, that's kind like of the, so odd that it may not really carry it. Like you're going to feel you're not going to be comfortable on it. So you're not going to like want to, cause that's kind of how I feel about BMX bikes. It's like, sure. You have a bike that you can just do whatever on and you're not going to break it. But at the same time, like you don't feel confident trying to do whatever on it because it it's also like- going to break you. Like when you're a little kid and you've got like jelly knees and you're never going <laughs> to hurt yourself. I think it's totally fine. And you've got like, you know, gumby bones. It's, they're fucking insane. I borrowed a kid's fairly nice BMX bike and I jumped it off like a three inch curb and I fucking handed it right back to him. I was like, fuck this thing. It was, it was, it was violent. The other thing that you have to realize too is, um, cause I can kind of, this is a story. This is, this is my Kenny story of the three inch curb. Um, back when I was really riding BMX bike, I jumped the biggest stair set that I ever jumped. Um, how many stairs? It was 14 stairs to flat. Nice. And like the moment I hit the ground, like I wasn't hurt, but I was like, that's never happening again. That just can't happen ever again. Um, you know, back to talking what Andrew is saying, like I get she was talking about very scientific stuff of like, this is what happens. This is how your body's developing. But you also have to remember these kids weigh 60 pounds or 70 pounds. Like that's not a lot of momentum. That's not a lot of energy that has to be redirected by this what kenny's calling a jelly knee that gets put out there to catch yourself um even though i still know how to do those things i still don't always do them right and when i ride bmx bike i get hurt that's the bottom line every time i ride my bmx bike i get hurt i rode i guess one week ago saturday after work for about 30 minutes and the biggest thing we rode was the curb and there was just like four or five of us from the shop just playing on our BMX bikes after work because the weather was nice. And, and it was like, I was broken when I went home and I didn't wreck. I didn't fall. I put my foot out a few times, but I was just fucking beat to death. I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, so that's kind of the one prong of this is this bike is going to try to absolutely kill you. Um, and then the second part of it is, of course, the people you see in videos are good. Like this is pretty much the, these people are the the Did people. Did he actually that say something about videos? Yeah, he says he's been watching BMX videos. Oh, okay, okay. Um, 
I've been watching street BMX videos lately and it seems like it'd be fun to have a BMX right to play around on. Um, you know, the thing about that is like the dudes in the videos are like top 10 in UCI races to put it in perspective. Like they would be top 10 in whatever genre they were in if it was a UCI race. Um, and when you watch these videos, like these people wreck a lot. Just look at, instead of watching those, look up BMX fail. No, what on I was, YouTube. What I was gonna say is, you just have to realize that these people are really good, and the people that sucked at this, they stopped doing it a long time ago, and they definitely didn't try to put out any edits. Um, I, I mean, I'm not trying to shoot you down. Like, if you think if you want to spend the money on a BMX bike, my recommendation is buy the cheapest one you can buy that is a hundred percent chromoly frame. So just be careful. Some of them have high ten steel frames. Buy the cheapest one that you can buy that is a full chromo frame. And then once you get it, make sure that the tires can hold 100 PSI. If the tires aren't 100 PSI rated, buy nice tires that are rated for 100 or more PSI. The bike will shave a ton of weight and it will get grippier. And you can run high pressure so you don't pinch flat. Um, I mean, if you just want a bike to play around on like Flatland, that's, that's... Sure. But just, just know, like doing that stuff, you're, you're going to be on like a really awkward feeling bike. So it just, it may not be something that really helps you with your bike handling skills. If you're at core, a mountain biker, I'd get something like a 26 inch dirt jump with a fork on it. That way you can actually like, you can still kind of mess around, put two brakes on it. So boohoo, you can't do bar spins, but you're not going to be fucking doing those anyway. So, uh, you know, get something with two brakes and you can play around with doing little like endos and wheelies and manuals and like just whipping the bike around and doing all that kind of stuff. Like or get this, like a trials I, bike or something. Like I a, like the slow speed stuff, you know, where you're sitting there and you're doing track stands and you're playing around with shifting weight. Like that's stuff that's very useful on the trail. Um, and I think you can learn that a lot better on a, on a size small kind of 26er. And I, I like to have the suspension fork because it most most mountain bikes are going to have a suspension fork and you're going to use that. And so you get used to using that, that those physics of moving and compressing the fork and using the fork to let you jump over stuff, all that. Like that's, that's my advice is get something akin to a 26 star jumper with a fork on it. Yeah. And yeah, that's a, that's more relevant to what you're actually doing. Like what your goal, if your goals are to be better at handling a mountain bike, get better at handling a mountain bike by doing it on something that you're not afraid to break. You know, like a or shitty better yet, ass- just do it on your mountain bike. Like yeah, you'd be surprised. Mm, I'll bring my 29 or full suspension out. And yes, I can't do, can't do quite as rowdy stuff, but you know, practice hopping up on, on skinny curbs, you know, that are a foot tall where you have to actually really work the bike to get up on there. And then you got to balance them and then you kind of jump off to the side and do all that stuff. Like I, I'll do that on my damn RKT that all day. It's totally fine. I'm not going to be as graceful, and you can't do giant big hit stuff on it. Uh, and you might crash the bike a little bit, but, you know, it's. I think it's really good practice. And, you know, there's some things that I can do on my fancy bikes that I've learned on my cheap bikes. So a great example would be like a parking bump. Um, you know, like a they're in the parking lot so you don't drive too far forward in a parking spot. Um, something I love doing is at – at speed, I ride towards them like um, I'm, I'm riding at like a one degree angle pretty much at the parking bump. So I'm like almost in line with it. And you lift your front wheel up and set it on the other side. And then you like tire grind or tire burn the the 
the length of that little thing. But then as you get towards the end, you wait the front wheel and exit over the other side. Um, you know, that's one of those little things that you can learn in a parking lot and you can spend two hours doing that on some junky bike where you're not worried about tearing up your tires or tearing up your, your rims or you're ripping off a derailleur or anything. And yeah, that's definitely something that's good, but you know, you got to realize that, that, um, I've, I've ridden a handicap ramp for two hours before because I was bored and that was the only thing that was around. So like those BMX skills don't necessarily come from having that bike. They come from putting in a ton of time on that bike. Yep. And I think that's all we got. Yeah. There's other questions that aren't happening today. Oh, I've got a thing, a new shit that I do not hate. And then we're closing. Okay. Um, Trek just put up something on their social media about the, uh, the women's scholarship to attend the, uh, their, like their technical clinics or technical school. And of course, when they're like, Oh, go women. There are a bunch of dudes who are like, why don't you do this for men? And like, that's sexist and all this Trek outright shut them down. Like straight up. Like one guy even said like, this may not be the bike company I like or some shit like that. And, and whoever's running Trek social media was like, you're right. Maybe we're not your bike company. Like they no holds barred talked back to every single sexist remark about their women's scholarship. Like we're not trying to be PC. We're not trying to unoffend you here. If you think that this is wrong, you can fuck off. They never actually said fuck off, but they said fuck off. And I really, really applaud them for that. That's, that's awesome. You know, I think that's, that speaks a lot for, uh, for Trek and how they support women because a lot of companies wouldn't go that far because, you know, they basically, they told a small percentage of people on their social media that they could go fuck themselves. Um, which, which is okay because they told some sexist people that they could go fuck themselves. Um, and that's cool. I like that. Thank you, Trek. Rockin'. Well, this has been another episode of Just Riding Along brought to you by Pants. Yoga Pants. And, and tequila. Good night. <laughs>